middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Welcome to another episode of Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified, yet mildly entertaining podcast that is all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. Weston Mills is here. I'm Tommy Castor, back for another episode. Weston, we are getting closer and closer to Christmas. The holiday season is in full swing. Do you feel the spirit? Are you there? Are you there by now? You know, I am. I love I really do love Christmas. It's kind of a weird year, though, right? I mean, <laughs> I guess that's the understatement of of the podcast. Uh, but it's just I, I don't know. It feels like how did we get here? How are we at Christmas already? And maybe I don't know. Maybe we say that every year anyways. But boy, it just felt like we were going into lockdowns like three weeks ago. Yet at the same time, doesn't that kind of feel like an eternity ago? It's it's been uh, I don't know. It's been quite a while but i love christmas i'm big into the season haven't got the lights up on the house yet which uh if i don't get them up quickly at that at what point do you just say well they're not going up this year i'm not putting them up for you know a week and a half's worth of of looking but i'm hoping hoping either tomorrow night or potentially uh this weekend you could always be like my next door neighbor and they're the ones that do the uh the lights that they put in their yard that point up at the house you know, and they, oh. they rotate the different like lights shining on the house, which uh-huh. is kind of, I think that's kind of the lazy way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. but you could, I mean, that's, it's an easy way to do it too. So if you're looking for a solution, that could be it right there. You know, frankly, I kind of like that. And I, I may have to look into that because listen, I just want to spread the, uh, the Christmas cheer. And, <laughs> and if that, you know, if plugging in two lights in the front yard, help do that and makes me feel like I'm contributing, then I think that's a win-win. Also, can you believe it? We are getting close to being on the air with this podcast for one year. I mean, we're still a little bit short. I think we started in, in yeah. late January uh, of 2020, um, but we're we're getting closer and closer to that one year mark. Yeah, what, I, this might be the best podcast that has ever launched during the middle of sports being shut down by a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, can we say that? I think that's a maybe a fair fair statement. I like that. Our timing has been pretty poor. We've never been known. <laughs> our timing as far as launching a sports podcast and speaking of the holiday season coming up and speaking of the fact that we're getting closer to one year on the air we've got a huge jam-packed show for next week we're going to talk a lot more about it at the very tail end of the program Uh, but that's kind of my tease for you to stick around towards the very end of the show as we tell you about what we have coming up our holiday extravaganza to wrap up the the year 2020 with keeper of the games also want to remind you to hit subscribe that way anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get notified. It's the best way to know that we have new episodes that they've dropped, that they're ready for you to listen. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, uh, and all the other major ones. You can find us right there. Of course, our website is cogsports.com. Make sure to check us out there. You can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at KOG pod. All right, Weston, uh, the last few weeks on the show, we've obviously talked about the Kansas City Chiefs, but they have not led off the show uh, in a while now. We felt like it was a good idea to kick off the show by talking about the Kansas City Chiefs as they won in a squeaker. I know it's weird to say that uh, against the Denver Broncos at home on Sunday night football on Sunday. Uh, I, I think both you and I 
we obviously picked a blowout, uh, didn't really happen that way as the Chiefs really had a hard time scoring in the red zone all night long. Uh, there were some weird things that happened during the course of the game also, but Weston, the Chiefs now stand at 11-1 and with that win on the season. How do you assess that Sunday night football win against the Broncos? You know, it's, uh, I mean, it was ugly, of course, um, but a win's a win. And, you know, and that's, you know, the mark of a great football team is is finding a way to win those games. Um, you know, and it was, while the score was close, I, there was never a point where I honestly felt like the game was in question. Um, even coming down to that last drive, when, when you give the ball to Drew Locke with a chance to win, I just... I didn't actually think that there was a, a chance that he could he could pull that off, um, you know. And it kind of felt like one of those games where you look at the box score and it's like you know twenty two sixteen. It was you know, all these field goals didn't quite capitalize in the red zone, but it, it kind of is one of those things where I like to. I, I'm a big believer in law of averages, and you know the the rate at which the Chiefs hit on some of these big plays. We were bound to have a game where one, two, three of them just didn't connect right so obviously you know what i'm sure you know we talk about the tyree kill catch no catch in the end zone um then obviously the tyree killed long deep ball where he backflipped into the end zone and there was a holding but then if you remember also there was a a pass down the left side of the uh field to mccall hardman that had pat hit that in stride you know he's gone that's that's another six and just it just kind of felt like it was one of those games where something had to give eventually with the the rate we hit on these big plays on these deep balls eventually they're not going to connect and i just kind of think law of averages caught up and 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 you still just feel happy that you you won that game and kept the spot uh in the afc where we're now tied with the steelers record wise but they own the tiebreaker so uh, but puts us in a much better position in the, at the end of the season to snag that one seed. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. There, there were so many different just bizarre plays that happened uh, over the course of that game. The one that everybody talks about, and you referenced it, is the the catch no catch with Tyreek, and you know he got up disappointed, acted like he hadn't made the catch, and then. <laughs> Andy never challenged it. And and when you're watching the replay at home, you're yelling at the TV, like, why do you not challenge that? Um, but I, you know, I think you also have to recognize that when you're on the field, it's kind of bang, bang. And you don't, I mean, you're looking up at the jumbotron, right? And I'm sure that they've got people that are calling in, you know, their, their review coordinators and things like that. But, um, you know, it just happened so quickly. And then all of a sudden the chiefs were punting, uh, and there was no chance to challenge it. And I was really, my thought with that, I wasn't, I mean, I was obviously frustrated about that at the time. I just kept thinking, man, if we, if we lose, it's going to come back to that. Like that will be the question, you know, that, right. that everybody's going to ask Andy Reid. Luckily it didn't happen that way, but you know, I don't know if, if, I've, if I've ever seen a receiver have such a great game without actually scoring a touchdown than Tyreek, uh, Tyreek Hill did uh, on Sunday night. And you, you right. referenced both of those situations, but um, no, it, it was one of those games where I don't think you walk away from it being like, yeah, like that was a really, really good win for Kansas City. But the fact remains that it's a division opponent. You're playing at home on Sunday night football. There's a lot of pressure on there. And you're trying to keep pace with the number one seed in the AFC. So, you know, a lot of pressure going on there. And then, uh, like you mentioned, a win is a win. Uh, and the Chiefs escaped 22 to 16 uh, against the Broncos. I, I also think I want to give credit where credit is due. You know, and and I and I'm not the only one that thinks this. You know, the Sunday Night Football crew thought so too because they interviewed him after the game. Travis Kelsey had a phenomenal football game, and you know, it, the games where 
it's both Tyreek and Travis, uh, the Chiefs are going to run away with the game every time. But the good thing is you don't need both of them. You need one of them. And right. it was Travis Kelsey on Sunday night. Um, you know, he just he had eight catches for 136 yards, one touchdown. I mean, he was just he still looked absolutely dynamic on the field for Kansas City. And it's a good thing the Chiefs had him. You know, and we talked about last week, you know, I said, I think the Chiefs are at, at a point where they are, they're kind of man proof and you have to play zone, but that's the, and that's kind of the problem with playing the zone is that we have one of the best zone busters in Travis Kelsey, you know, locking down the middle of the field and sitting down in those spots to be able to kind of eat up space where, where it's needed to be. Um, so you kind of have to pick your poison, you know, Travis Kelsey, I, I'm, I'm looking at some numbers right here. Cause I've, I've just kind of, this is a, a narrative I had built in my head and I wanted to see if I was vindicated. He kind of owns the Denver Broncos. In 13 games, he's got 83 receptions for 1,115 yards and five touchdowns against the Broncos in his career. Uh, so pretty good. I, I, I bet if you look, honestly, even though I kind of built this narrative in my head, I bet if you look against AFC uh, West opponents altogether, I bet his numbers are pretty good. But for whatever reason, I just feel like Travis Kelsey just always shows up against the Broncos and they just they just can't stop him. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. And I think that, you know, while Travis Kelsey is not going to be mentioned in MVP talk, um, which he, he might be in the conversation, which he won't win the MVP, but he definitely does need to be in consideration for other awards like Offensive Player of the Year, you know, things like that. I mean, he only I, trails he, he only trails I, DK Metcalf as far as total receiving yards by five. That's it. And uh, in the I, NFL. I've seen his uh, name suggested a few different times by some prominent, you know, NFL media folks for for player offensive player of the year. So I think that uh, is very much in, in consideration. I mean, he's putting up really uh, career type numbers this year. I mean, he's got 82 receptions already through. Let's see, we're through 12. He had 97 all of last year. Uh, 1,114 yards. He had 1,000. 229 yards all of last year. He's already got eight touchdowns, which is two off of his career high. Um, let's see, averaging 92 yards a game, which the highest he's ever averaged is 83 yards a game. So I think Travis Kelsey absolutely needs to be considered. And especially considering, you know, he's doing this as not, as probably not the number one guy on the Chiefs offense, which is insane to think about. I mean, he's the number two, and yet he's still putting up those numbers, sharing a target load, you know, a work workload with uh, Tyreek Hill, um, you know, and, and then, of course, a little bit of the running game. So just incredible season so far from Travis Kelsey. Speaking of the running game, uh, you know, pretty good effort by Le'Veon Bell and Daryl Williams uh, on Sunday. Now, I do have to say I – started Clyde Edwards Hilaire in three of my fantasy lineups. Um <laughs> unfortunately I don't think I I don't think I have him and I'm facing you, you in that league. Um yeah. and I think I am beating you by the way in in that league. Um, I think so too. we're waiting I think we're waiting for the Dallas game uh tonight uh for that. But uh, but anyway, um the the bottom line though is that the the running game even without CEH with Le'Veon Bell and Daryl Williams looked pretty good. I mean, the, you know, the, they were able to rush for over 100 yards on the ground. Um, and, and that really seemed to be a little bit more of a balanced offensive effort for Kansas City on Sunday night than what we've seen really be pass heavy over the last several weeks. You know, and I, I the numbers didn't really sh- were probably not show up for Le'Veon Bell, but I, I thought this was his best game as a chief. I thought he looked yeah. really good running the ball. Um, I know I can't remember. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do remember his 
uh, yards per carry was 3.8, which is, I mean, it doesn't blow you away, but that's all the Chiefs need out of a running back is someone to be coming and get consistent yards. And that's one thing he's been good at his whole career is he, he's got that patient ability where, you know, at times, honestly, I think that does cost him from maybe making the explosive run, but he always finds a way to get two, three, four yards because he is so patient, waits for that run game to develop, and then and then hits the hole when he has to. So, I, I think he was he was really good, and, and obviously we talked about you, you just talked about Daryl Williams had a couple of big runs, but um, that'll be it's going to be so key, especially as the weather gets cold and it's a little bit harder to throw that ball around. That those those three get the run game going, and and even though we haven't seen the numbers, I'm personally not not real worried about it. So. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to be positive about from this game, even though it was just squeaking away. But you know, ultimately, a win is a win, and, and we're you know right there as one B, I guess you'll say, uh, in the playoff race. So, and really, with the Steelers having a couple of, we, we've got a couple of tough games coming up in in Miami and New Orleans, but uh, Pittsburgh's got Buffalo, and I'm drawing a blank on the other one, but one more tough. Don't they tough play Cleveland game. again? Oh, that'd be nice. I hope yeah, that I think that's they play the Cleveland case. again. Yeah. Well, e- either way, I'm I'm certainly I think that they'll lose in Buffalo, and we didn't. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the, for our listeners who may be not quite sure exactly how this breaks down, so the Steelers are at eleven and one, Kansas City's eleven and one. The tiebreaker typically is head to head. We have not played the Steelers, obviously. Um, so the next tiebreaker goes to record within the division. We lost against the Raiders, who are an AFC team. Steelers lost to. Uh, Washington yesterday who are an NFC team. So really if, if things were to finish out the season like that, we would end up the two seed because they'd have that tiebreaker, but they do have a couple tough AFC games coming up. Yeah. So I wouldn't, hopeful. I wouldn't be surprised to see Pittsburgh drop another game between now and the end of the year. Uh, like you mentioned, they're on the road this Sunday night against Buffalo. They take on the Bengals on the road. Bengals are without Joe Burrow uh, and Joe Mixon right now. So that should be a win for, for Pittsburgh. But then they finish at home against the Colts. And the Colts are surprisingly pretty good this year. Yeah. And then their final game is on the road uh, January 3rd against Cleveland is where they wrap up the season. And Cleveland is really good this year as well. So uh, it, it's a it's a tough uh, three out of four game stretch for Pittsburgh, um, you know, down the stretch. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with that. But, um, you know, the, the Chiefs really did their part. Obviously, you need to get wins where you can. And they were able to do that on Sunday. And obviously it helped that uh, Washington beat Pittsburgh uh, on what was it? Monday afternoon football uh, when, when that ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, that big victory uh, that the Washington football team had. And Alex Smith, by the way, uh, leading uh, the, the Washington football team to that big win on the road in Pittsburgh. Before we move away from uh, Kansas City, I do want to talk about the defense a little bit, um, you know, because we, we've talked quite a bit about Travis Kelsey and, and the running game. And obviously, what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes? Another uh, solid, more than solid start for, for Patrick. Um, but defensively, I thought that that was overall one of the better efforts that we've seen from the Chiefs defense throughout the course of the season. Now, obviously, they're they're up against Drew Locke, um, you know, who's not, you know, the, the stud uh, quarterback <laughs> by any means. Uh, but I really thought that there were a couple of players that stood out. I mean, you're, the first thing you're going to say is Teron Matthew and, and, and two interceptions. Yeah. And he had that one to seal the game, you know, against uh, Drew Locke there late. Uh, but then also a guy that I think is pretty divisive again, uh, around Chiefs Kingdom. Um, and I'm a huge fan of, and I don't know if you are, um, but I certainly am. And that's Daniel Sorensen. 
He had a oh, really yeah. good game as well for Kansas City. I know that there are a lot of Chiefs fans out there that don't like him. They don't understand why he plays so much. Um, you know, and he does get burned uh, from time to time, especially when you know he's playing man coverage. But he does seem to come up with big plays, and he's always around the football. He's kind of a ball hawk. Uh, he had a great game too. So I, I would say that both Teron Matthew and, and Daniel Sorensen really led the Chiefs defense on Sunday. Tommy, thank you for for introducing me, giving me an avenue to talk about Dirty Dan on this podcast because I am a huge Daniel Sorensen fan. Um, and, and personally, I, look, you're right. He's got some limitations from a physical ability standpoint, but I think the Chiefs fans who don't appreciate Dirty Dan, I, I think they're, I mean, I'm going to call them out. I truly think you're an uned, uneducated fan if, if that's the case, because the things he do he does, and I mean, he has the nickname Dirty Dan for a reason, right? He's going to do all the dirty work. He will set that edge, which is not sexy. It's not glorious. There's not a lot of people that are yelling, oh, Daniel Sorensen, way to set the edge when, right. you know, Know, Damian Wilson or Tyran Matthew comes down and then makes the play because Daniel Sorensen set the edge. He does that stuff consistently. And, and then you're right. The part that everybody does love about him, right, is that guy's just got a nose for the football. He's just got a knack for making big plays when, when the time is right. So he is – I think he's going to be one of those people that um, is going to – I don't know, unsung hero, I guess is kind of the word, but I feel like kind of every one of these great teams, right, always has a player that the fan base loves that is just not even probably known at all. His name's probably not hardly recognized outside of Kansas City one bit. Um, but in Kansas City, when you watch those games in and out, you just recognize what he does and what he brings to a team. Um, you know, he, I said he does the dirty work, but I, I think he's also kind of the glue guy, right? Like you got to have yeah. a glue guy, a guy that's, you know, going to kind of step up, bring that energy. And it's not so much a focal vocal or celebratory type energy, but you know, it's the, it's the going in, making a big boom on somebody that gets that defense energized. And that's what, that's what he brings every time he plays. And, uh, as you can tell big Daniel Sorensen fan. So Tommy, thank you. Appreciate that, uh, intro. And it's not like you and I are just making up his abilities. I mean, he's had three right. interceptions on the season. He intercepted Josh Allen late in the game uh, during the Bills game yeah. back in, in week six. He intercepted Drew Locke in week seven against the Broncos and returned it. It was a pick six in that game um, uh, against the Broncos. And then Sunday Night Football against the Raiders. He picked a, uh, had another interception against Derek Carr late in the game. So yeah, he's a ball hawk, especially in crucial moments. Um, and and having a guy like him and Teron Matthew in the game, um, you know, that they, they're just always going to try to find where the big play is and try to make it. And I don't know if I've got a more favorite guy on the defense for Kansas City than Teron Matthew and yeah. just his energy, his. Uh, his personality, the way he plays the game. I, I'll, I'll admit, and maybe we've talked about this on this show before, I was a little iffy about Teron Matthew uh, originally coming to Kansas City, um, but I think he's he's solidified himself as kind of the spiritual leader of that defense, especially the spiritual leader in the secondary. He's the veteran presence you know, back there, and he just does a great job week in and week out. Yeah, I, I think they're the perfect combination at Sorensen and, and Matthew. And I think that's why you've actually seen Juan Thornhill play a little less, who's incredibly talented and had yeah. success. I think they've Steve Spagnolia has just found this combination of Sorensen and and Matthew working so well together as you know, Matthew can obviously come up and, and make a big hit in those kind of things as well, but he's got much more coverage skills where Dan's more in the box against the run game, and they can both do 
obviously Matthew can do both. He's world, world-class talent, but it just is a real good combination, you know? And, and I think the reason both of these guys pair well too, and I think this is something fans need to understand sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times getting those turnover plays is not always I mean, it's not being in the right place at the right time. A lot of times it takes a gamble. It takes taking a risk that I can get to that ball with the chance that if I don't, the play breaks, right? So you're going to have times, and you don't really see it out of Matthew, but he is maybe the best safety in the game right now. Um, but you see that out of Sorensen, and, and he gets beat because he's not as fast as some of the guys. But he takes chances, and that is going to cost you at times. But that is the perfect combination when you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. I'd much rather have my secondary get beat over the top every now and then. If that means that they're going to risk and be able to steal one or two possessions because they pick off a ball that, that they took a chance on getting Patrick Mahomes, one or two extra possessions a game is going to win you football games. Every time you're not going to be able to outscore the chiefs if that's the case. So I, I think they pair well in, in, um, you know, I'm a homer. Everybody knows that. Nobody's listening to this podcast that doesn't. But that's, you know, I've, I feel like I'm bringing some sound logic to why I really love those two. You know, in the past, rush looked better, Tommy. It didn't. I mean, it wasn't it still wasn't as dominant as we'd like to see. We still didn't see a ton out of Frank Clark. Um, Chris Jones was disruptive and they mentioned some stats during the game. And I don't I don't have them in front of me, but I do remember thinking, oh, wow, he's actually had a better season from a pass rush standpoint than I think Tommy and I were giving him credit for or or we're just recognizing anyways. And I think you and I both have kind of said, Hey, look, those two, you know, they've got to do more and that's still maybe a valid argument. Right. But I think uh, the numbers for Chris Jones have been a little bit better than maybe what the eye sees, you know, and it's not a sack number, but as long as you're disrupting the pass game, that's the important thing. Well, and I think that you, uh, you can, I don't want to say you can give a break to Chris Jones and Frank Clark right now because you want them to perform all the time, but they, they need to perform in the playoffs, you know? So right. a game against the, the Broncos, yeah, it's important. Every game is important, but I really, they, I need to see them show up uh, starting now, the last four games of the, of the regular season and then into the playoffs. And that's really where we saw Frank Clark start to shine last yeah. year. You know, also uh, when he really came around and had a really strong playoff run for Kansas City. Um, but that's that again shows the importance of having guys like Teron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen in the secondary when the pass rush is not 100% there. When they're not playing at the top of their game, it means that they're not going to be able to get to, the, to get to the quarterback as much. Uh, and so you absolutely need to have the secondary step up. And we saw that Sunday uh, against Denver as the Chiefs got the victory. Uh, the next game is in not going to be as easy. I don't, it wasn't easy on Sunday, but the Miami Dolphins are a good football team. The Chiefs travel to sunny Miami on Sunday. It's going to be kind of weird to have a noon game, a noon kickoff. We haven't had a noon kickoff in quite a while. It seems like it's either the late afternoon game or the Sunday night game for Kansas City, but they're back uh, playing at 12 noon on the road in Miami. The Dolphins are 8-4 and four on the season. Uh, you know, Tua Tagovailoa has taken over as quarterback from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, he's led the Dolphins to some wins. Fitzpatrick was able to do the same thing. So it really hasn't mattered that much who the quarterback is right now for the for the Dolphins crew. They're setting in an eight and four record and challenging the Buffalo Bills for that first place spot in the AFC East. Your predictions on the Chiefs and Dolphins on Sunday afternoon. Well, you know, my predictions have been very, very wrong every time I've made a prediction. So, um, <laughs> you know, at this point, uh, I think the Chiefs kind of bounce back. 
I'm just might saying. as well get get that horn ready. That's right. I'm gonna go 35 again. I went okay. 35 last week, but I feel like again, law of averages. The Chiefs aren't aren't they're they're gonna put up some numbers. I gotta keep that total high. Um, but this time I'll go ahead and say Dolphins 17, 35, 17. I think they're a great defense, but I really think the Chiefs just look for an, an explosive bounce back. Um, Xavier Howard for the Dolphins got kicked out of last week's game. The replays were very weird about it. There was a fight with Tyler Boyd and mm-hmm. it didn't look like really anything happened. So, but, but they got kicked out. He got kicked out for punches thrown. So whether he gets suspended or not, I haven't seen anything about uh, you would certainly kind of expect that to come down after punches being thrown. Um, but when you watched the replay last week, it kind of looked pretty harmless from both players. So um, unless we miss something, it'll be very curious because he's their best corner uh, so that will obviously have a big impact on on their defensive abilities to to slow down Tyreek Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and it wasn't just that play with Tyler Boyd and, and Xavier Howard that there were bench clearing brawls in that game uh, against. Oh, I missed that. Um, yeah, there were um, a couple fair catch calls um, that the Dolphins they were calling for a fair catch on a punt, mm-hmm. and I don't know who it was for Cincinnati, but just laid laid the returner out both times. And Brian Flores was on the field getting in the face of the guy from Cincinnati. It was benches cleared. It was not a, not a pretty sight in that last game. Uh, hopefully it won't be nearly as dramatic this week against Kansas city. So my prediction, I keep inching my score total for Kansas city down week in and week out after I <laughs> have them scoring a bunch of points and it just really yeah. doesn't happen that way. Um, so I'm going to actually inch it down again. I know that the chiefs really want to get, um, you know, back on the, the right side of the offense and really start to score some touchdowns uh, on Sunday. But I, I, I do think that the dolphins have a really good defense. In fact, not to talk about, uh, you know, a lot about my fantasy team, but I think I've got Miami in like several different leagues because they're so strong. Um, so I'm going to say the Chiefs put up 28 uh, and I'm going to I'm going to match your total uh, for the Dolphins and say 17. So you're saying 35, 17. I'm saying 28, 17 uh, for Kansas City on Sunday uh, against the Dolphins. But regardless, uh, it should be a really fun matchup of a. Uh, traditionally really high-powered offense and a really strong defense in Miami. I'm looking forward to this one. Also, I'm as bad at predicting these games as KU is at playing football. So I don't, you know, I'm not sure why you keep asking me for the scores because I've just been so wrong. I mean, I guess I've I've gotten the correct win, you know, 11 times. Yeah. But <laughs> other than other than that, uh, they've, they've just been bad, I think. Yeah, you're picking the right team to win, uh, but the, the, the score just is a little <laughs> bit off. Just not, right. just not quite there, but we'll see how that game uh, pans out on Sunday for the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Let's get into college basketball now, and we're going to start with KU. And just a couple of hours um, from when we're recording this, the, the Kansas Jayhawks get a huge victory inside Allen Fieldhouse as the, the number five ranked Kansas Jayhawks take down the number eight ranked Creighton Blue Jays. It was a tight game. Final score in this one, 73 to 72. Uh, and it came right down to the wire. Marcus Zigorowski for the Blue Jays had a chance to tie the game with three free throws with 1.1 seconds to go. He made the first two. He missed the third one. And the Jayhawks hang on inside Allen Fieldhouse. Final score, 73 to 72. Again, it moves the Jayhawks to five and one on the season. Your thoughts on uh, the Jayhawks taking down Creighton uh, in Lawrence on Tuesday. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a that's a good win. Uh, number. I mean, number eight, Creighton. I think there are a lot. I mean, obviously, you see number eight on there, and you're going to know that they're a good team. But I think it's Creighton's been a good basketball team for a while. I think it's still taking America a long time to to shake the. Oh, okay, this isn't Missouri Valley Creighton, which was good, but was a mid major. Like they're a Big East. They're a very very good basketball team this year. So that's a that's a good win anytime you can beat that quality of opponent. Um, you know, and again, I. As I continue to watch them play, Kansas, that is, I just keep thinking we're still just looking for the guy. I feel like that's when they find that guy, that's going to help take things off because there just seems just to be a lack of, I don't know, take, I mean, urgency or I can't find the the right word, but like no, just nobody to really take charge when we go through these dips and they're playing good basketballs. So it hasn't really hurt them per se. But when we kind of go through these dips or spurts where, you know, maybe it's a seven, two run the other way, who that guy is to just really step up and score four to six points in a row. We just, we just haven't seen that out of particularly out of one, any one person, right? We've seen a couple guy different guys do it, but we just haven't really seen anyone become the guy. And I, I know people are probably tired of me talking about that, but um, it just kind of felt like more of the same watching the, watching Kansas play Creighton. I think that Jalen Wilson might want to argue that point a little bit because I think if anyone has been the guy, it's been Jalen Wilson. And um, I would agree with that. I would. You know, he finished the the Creighton game with 23 points and, and 10 rebounds. Um, you know, he consistently has taken games over. And there was a stretch in that game against Creighton where I think Jalen Jalen Wilson had 14 straight points for Kansas or something like that. That to me, that sure sounds like a guy that can take over the game and be the guy. Yeah. You know, I, and I guess that's fair. And I guess maybe, and maybe it's just me as a fan processing that, you know, he's one of the new faces on the court and you don't expect that. Right. I mean, you know, we've, we're just so accustomed to, it seems like someone steps into that role, right? It was like, he was Frank Mason. Devontae Graham played right alongside him, and you knew when Frank Mason left, it was going to be Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham left. Now, granted, it was a freshman in Devon Dotson, but you knew, you know, you knew what you had coming in when Dotson took over. And really that year, even when Dotson was a freshman, it was kind of a lot of that not quite sure who the guy was. He becomes a sophomore, you know Devon Dotson's all of a sudden the guy, um, him in as a buki. And and maybe I'm just struggling with that as well, you know, so as, as Jalen Wilson being a new face. And and not to try to to get in your head and like try to explain on your behalf, what you're trying to say, but I, I think maybe what you're trying to explain, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're looking for not the guy who can take over a game or score clutch points, but whose team is it, right? Who's right, 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 right. Who's the leader of the team, game right. in and game out? You always knew, like you said, Frank Mason was the leader, Devontae Graham was the leader. I think that by seniority, Marcus Garrett probably should be the leader, quote unquote, of the team. But Marcus Garrett is so understated that it's kind of hard for him. I I don't, I just, from watching him play for four years, he's not a super vibrant, dynamic personality like a guy like Yudoka Azabuki is who's going to pound his chest, you know, and Devon Dotson, who's going to bring the ball up the court every time. 
you think of Marcus Garrett doing the dirty work. You think of him going after loose balls, playing lockdown defense. He's going to go to the rim when he needs to, but um, he's just, his personality is a little bit more understated. So I don't know if that's kind of where, what you're getting at, but as far as a guy who can take over a game and score points at will right now, it's Jalen Wilson. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think, no, I think I appreciate you directing that because I think really what I'm looking for is both right uh, at this level. I do feel like you have to, there's someone needs to, to really lead the team, but also that guy has to, that person, that player also has to be the guy who can go get four to five points. You know, Mitch Lightfoot may very well be the guy that really rallies those guys around in practice, gets guys where they need to go but he's playing six minutes a game. He's not the guy, right? So it's exactly, I mean, you're exactly right. I, I need both. And I guess maybe that's why I'm not, I'm not there with Jalen Wilson yet, even though from a talent standpoint, he's absolutely, I've, I, I said, I think I said it on the last podcast, I think he's the guy who's going to be, you know, scoring the most points game in and game out. He's incredibly talented, but you just need that combination of, of leading the team, telling the guys we need to stop here or stop making, you know, Bill can only do stuff so much from the sideline. You got to have that on court presence and, and someone's going to take charge by the end of the year. And, and it may very well be Jalen Wilson grows up and you got to remember he's, he is a sophomore. He was around this team last year. It was just, it's just his first year on the court because he had yeah. to sit out last year. Right. So, um, and, and, you know, maybe part of it too, in your mind is that, and you've mentioned this a couple different times that if you're looking for someone to be the guy for KU, you're looking at Ochai Abaji and where was Ochai in that Creighton game? He was 0 for 6 on the floor, didn't score a single point. That's not going to do it if Ochai Abaji is going to step up and be the guy. Um, we've seen offensive production out of him early in the season, but against the number eight team in the country, and you're going to be facing teams of that caliber in the Big 12 and in the tournament, you need Ochai to be able to score and not go over from the floor. Yeah, and this has been my problem with Ochai kind of from the beginning, and not really a problem because, look, I think he has a role on the team, but there've been a lot of folks who, who have said, Oh, he's going to take that next step. He's going to become the guy. You got to remember, this was a kid who wasn't hardly recruited out of high school, got a last second offer from Kansas. They redshirted him as a freshman. So, I mean, that's already telling you what their expectations were of him. They removed that redshirt freshman year. Everybody remembers he comes in, he scores. I don't know. I think it was like 16 or 18 or something like that. You know, with that redshirt off played really well. um, And that caught everyone's attention. Well, you know, there are moments when you can, you can be hot, you can catch fire. And that's still not necessarily indicative of what your future career is going to be. I think he's incredible. Ochai kind of feels like to me, he's going to be, you know, at best a Pippin on this Kansas team. Right. I mean, I just don't think he's ever going to find that time where he's the guy he compliments players very well because he is very versatile, right? Like he can shoot the ball. He can get to the rim. He can, you know, he can play defense. And I think that's why a lot of folks want him to really be that guy who takes over and scores, you know, averages 18 a game or whatever. But I think he, he does that best when he is not the focus of the offense, he's doing it more in an auxiliary role. Um, you know, and then he just disappears at time. He just does. It just has happened throughout his, his three-year career. So, uh, you know, I, I think getting consistent play out of Ogbaji is key. And then we talked about it last week. So I don't know how much we want to talk about it this week, but, but figuring out what they're going to do with David McCormick, because again, I mean, he was five for 12, 
from yeah. the field and you know he's I mean he didn't shoot anything more than what a six footer maybe right it was five five from 12 uh you know had seven rebounds 13 points there was moments where you felt like it was better but he still just it it, it, it might just be a slow build for for big dave you know and he looked god awful at the very beginning of the season yeah. he didn't look god awful against creighton he looked awful i mean like it's it's a slowly but surely i hope i feel like getting better for david mccormick he did contribute 13 points and i know that this guy is getting criticized day in and day out by by jayhawk fans um and for good reason but he's he's doing everything in his power i mean like he, the guy does not lack energy effort playing hard. I mean, he's right there. He just has to be able to produce and and be efficient and be effective. And that's just not really, it hasn't all clicked yet for David McCormick. I was prepared, uh, Weston, to come on this podcast, depending on the outcome of the game today, but I was prepared to come on this podcast and, and, and not be super high on the Jayhawks. Um, I don't know if you saw the final score of their game against North Dakota state over the weekend. They barely mm-hmm. beat North Dakota state. I think the final score, I think they won by four inside Allen field against North Dakota state. Uh, it was not a good game. We, we saw the champions classic against Kentucky. That was an ugly matchup, uh, an ugly game. And I was, really concerned about what this Jayhawk squad was, you know, after the first five games, I don't think that anymore because I was really impressed with what I saw against Creighton. It wasn't a perfect outing. You're never going to have a perfect outing, uh, but with Jalen Wilson, what he's doing offensively right now uh, for Kansas is huge. Christian Brown added 14 points uh, in that game. He knocked down a couple of really clutch threes. Bryce Thompson uh, had good minutes as well for, for Kansas against the Blue Jays. And I think that this game can maybe tell you more about who this Kansas squad is than any of the games that we've seen so far, the Gonzaga game, the first game of the season, Kentucky, uh, whatever. I think that Creighton, uh, obviously they're a top 10 team. They've got a ton of talent. And I think that this sort of showed you, we don't really know who Kentucky is. We know Gonzaga is incredible. This was kind of like the first level footed, um, level playing field, hardcore knockdown drag out fight that we've seen from the Jayhawks this year. And I was really pleased with how they responded. I don't know if I'm making any sense or just rambling, but I was really proud of the output that we saw from Kansas on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the way Bill schedules or works to schedule his, his team, you know, I think you're going to see every year and we do every year, we always see a couple of losses or games that you scratch. Maybe they won, you scratch your head. But you have to keep a couple things in mind. One, this year is incredibly weird. So losing a, in the the advantage of being an Allen Fieldhouse incredibly hurts. So North Dakota yeah. State, any of these small schools that normally come into Allen Fieldhouse and don't have a, a prayer, uh, I think it's a little, quite a bit leveled now. Um, and then second, you know, Bill is preparing. He prepares his team to win a Big Twelve to, and then ultimately to win a national championship, not to win games in November and December. Right. And, and by that, I mean, you know, he's playing guys right now that won't get minutes in the big 12 because he's, you know, he's using this time to see what works. You know, he's running things that he may not normally run. He's, uh, you know, an extra guy's getting a look at, at, a, at the four when he normally plays the three or a, at the five when he normally plays the four, those kind of things that will shake out come big 12 play um, that, but that otherwise maybe hurts from a competitive standpoint, 
or I guess from a win loss or score total standpoint uh, in in November and December. So I don't, you don't have to put a lot of stock in that. But I'm I am with you though. I mean, losing to Gonzaga, giving up a lot of points, and then squeaking by North Dakota State. You know, I kind of had my ear perked up at that too, thinking, okay, well, where where's this season going? We already are playing with guys that we aren't used to, right? I mean, there's nobody here that, that on the roster. I mean, Garrett brings a defensive presence. So outside of that, there's not really anybody on this roster that you go, hey, I feel confident because we have this player. You know, we don't have that this year, at least yet. We don't know yet, right? So um, I'm with you, but I do, I do think early on, there's just going to be some some weird things as this season progresses towards a Big 12 play. I think our biggest difference, you and me, is that I'm 100% on board the Jalen Wilson bandwagon and you are not quite there. And that's okay. Might take a little bit of time for him well, to warm his it, way into your heart. But uh, for what I it's worth, the guy, I, I think I told my wife, he's my favorite player on this team. So I'm there from a fun to watch like standpoint. I, I'm all in. I, I hope they play him at the five way more often than what they're what they're doing, because I I think McCormick, I, I think McCormick has a role. I just think it needs to be maybe limited, you know, in what he does. It's not a doke role. Um, and so I like, I, I like Jalen Wilson. I just want to see a little bit more for him to really just take over. And you're like, okay, this is Jalen Wilson's team. <laughs> I, I'm just not there yet, but I, I'm big fan, big fan. I think I think we'll get there. Two more non-conference games for the Jayhawks before Big 12 play starts. The Jayhawks take on Omaha inside Allen Fieldhouse Friday evening, and then they're back inside the Fieldhouse Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. as they take on Tarleton State. Here's a trivia question for you. Who's the head coach of Tarleton State? Do you know the answer to that? No. <laughs> Former Kentucky head coach and a really good friend of Bill Self, Billy Clyde Gillespie, is the head coach of huh. Tarleton State. Interesting. Um, I he I had a bunch of scandals, and Tarleton State was the team that took a leap of faith on him, and now he's bringing his team up to Lawrence to take on the Jayhawks on Sunday afternoon. Then after that, the Jayhawks uh, begin to play. Do you think that's a Tarleton State as a pit stop on his way to Wichita State? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that the I don't think the no. Shockers are going to bring in a guy that has been accused of some really scandalous things to replace you a guy think- like Greg. <laughs> okay, I fair enough. Fair. I, just I just don't see that happening, unfortunately. Uh, that's our update on the Kansas Jayhawks. Let's shift over to Manhattan and talk about the Kansas State Wildcats here briefly. Uh, it was not a good outing last weekend for the Wildcats as they lost to UNLV by 10. Final score of that game, 68-58. to 58. Uh, And as we're recording this, Weston, the Wildcats are actually in action back in Bramlage Coliseum against Fort Hayes State. And nearing the end of the first half, obviously anything could happen, but nearing the end of the first half, Fort Hay State is leading the Wildcats right now with two minutes to go uh, in, in the first half. The Wildcats stand at, at one and three. I know that we just had a huge conversation, you and I, about the Jayhawks and about how it's so early to be able to tell what a team actually is and who they're going to be. Um, but it's not looking good right now for the Wildcats, who again set at one and three. They're playing Fort Hay State right now. They'll probably win the game, but now Fort Hay State has a three-point lead, and it's about halftime. Your thoughts on the Wildcats? Yeah, I think this is going to be a long season for the Wildcat program. I don't know that there's going to be a lot, uh, a lot to talk about. You know, I think maybe the uh, the hot topics might come 
towards the towards the end of the season. They always I, I do feel like now I have not seen the K-State start this bad in a while. But I do feel like they always kind of kick it on in, in in Big 12 play, right? Like not that they've been overly competitive the last 2 years, but um they just seem to to kind of kick it on as the season goes on, so certainly we can hope to that Bruce Rubber can maybe shake things out and and kind of figure it out. You know, he's got Mike Mike McGurl scored 17 last week, so you know, he's going to be consistent throughout throughout all the rest of the season, which is a building block I think to to find some positivity later on to win some games, knowing you've got basically a leader of the team, right? I mean, he's going to score the points. He's going to lead that group as an upperclassman. Um, But I think it's going to be a long season. There's probably not going to be a whole lot to talk about uh, probably until March when, when I'm sure the conversations of Bruce Weber's job may very well be picking up. We talked about it last week on the program about how this recruiting class and Bruce Weber are tied together and the performances of each are going to dictate where the program goes and what the future holds for the Wildcats. And um, I I do think it's really hard to be able to accurately judge um, who a team is when they're playing opponents like Drake and UMKC and and they're barely getting a win against UMKC. They're playing Fort Hay State. I think that you you need to be able to get into conference play a little bit to really get a true idea of who your squad actually is. Um, there are countless examples of teams that have terrible non-conference schedules. And then they get into conference play and all of a sudden they rack up a bunch of wins. It's just a different animal when you're playing teams that are in your conference rivalry games. And, you know, there's added motivation. There's it's a different kind of basketball. So I don't think that you take this non-conference slate right now for the Wildcats and completely write them off for the rest of the season. That being said, it's definitely a a hill to climb. Um, It's definitely going to be tougher to get behind the Wildcats and be able to forecast a successful season when we've seen what we've seen, you know, so far. Um, So it just, it's going to make it tough. Um, But I, 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 I guess I'm going to choose to withhold 100% judgment until we start to have a, a decent, um, you know, so a decent look at some games in conference, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, and here's, here's a thought that I was just sitting here thinking about, do you know, and I don't, so I'm asking you if the, the amount of fans allowed in any particular venue, is that controlled at all by the big 12 or is it KU and obviously the County that they sit in They're They're the ones controlling that, right? Yeah. I don't think that the conference dictates that. I believe it is the individual member schools. So this could be interesting to, as this plays out throughout, you know, where we're at with this coronavirus, we all know vaccines are, are out as soon as people start, you know, people could start getting vaccinated as soon as I think next week. Yeah. Um, so talk about potentially Bramlage, right? Being in Western Kansas, obviously much more conservative, much more of a, a venue, a, a school's more conservative, the county, Riley County's more conservative, where they've had a lot less restrictions on things. I'll be curious to see what kind of home court advantage Bramlage has come January, February, some of these late Big 12 games. They may have more folks packed in there then maybe some of the more, you know, obviously Douglas County is a little bit more, it's just a more of a liberal County. It's uh, the, they've been a little bit more strict on, on their restrictions on, on campus and in the, in the, in the town of Lawrence. Um, 
be very curious to see how this shakes out and what schools may have an advantage. Well, because some are packing their stadiums or, or close to, you know, I, I, I'm realistic. I don't, I don't know that anybody will be back to completely normal, but I bet there will be some more advantages at some stadiums other than, you know, other places in the conference. So that could be interesting to see. And I think the Wildcats may be a a team that does have a slight advantage. Yeah. I mean, as it stands right now, you know, like like I mentioned, uh, their record is one and three at halftime. Uh, They are down to Fort Hay state by six. The score right now is Fort Hay state, 35 Kansas state, 29 so not good right now for the wildcats we'll keep you posted as we record uh this episode if anything changes there um uh with uh with k-state against fort hay state in wichita the wichita state shockers they took on the missouri tigers on sunday the tigers came into wichita the shockers are still shorthanded they were still playing without their full complement of players in this game uh against kwanzo martin and the missouri tigers and it showed as missouri gets a 10 point win on the road against the Wichita State Shockers final score 72 to 62 Um, it's again it's really hard to judge especially when this team has only played two games and they played with only eight players Um, you know but we did talk about how when they had to pull out of that that tournament right before Thanksgiving because of COVID that it would give the Shockers extra time to practice we thought Um, but unfortunately I think really what it's showing is that Wichita State is kind of behind other programs wow. just because they're not getting as much game experience. And there's only one more non-conference game uh, before the uh, the conference play starts against Tulsa on the 15th. So uh, yeah, definitely a, a disappointing loss uh, at home against Missouri, but it kind of is what it is right now for the Shockers. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, I think we did a pretty poor job of, of previewing this game. I think we both said, I don't know anything about, about Missouri. Um, you know, they're, and they're, so they're three, and zero in the sec. And I actually, I did catch an article up here in the Kansas city star about, you know, Mizzou kind of finding itself this season and, and maybe headed in the right direction. So they may be, you know, end up being a pretty quality team. They do take on this Saturday. They take on number six, Illinois, who's also another kind of surprise team. Um, you know, I, my, the guy I practice law with, he's a big Illinois fan, and I've just been dogging on him for the last three years, telling him, dude, Illinois is not going to be good. Like, you haven't been relevant since Bill Self left. It's it's over. You know, you're not you're not going to be able to rebuild. And so he's – I think he's all over uh, uh, throwing that in my face. And he was telling me last year some of the guys they had, but I'm getting very far away from Wichita State. But anyways, my point being, you know, Missouri is, I, I think – all said and done could be a pretty, pretty quality team. And, and I don't know necessarily this will be any type of black eye or anything on, on Wichita State's schedule in particularly with the fact that, you know, they did have so many players out. And I think that's another thing too, you know, I, I had said, Hey, maybe this gives them more time to practice, but also you can't effectively practice, right? If you don't have all your guys being allowed to practice, that's just not, I don't know. I hadn't necessarily thought about it that way, but I think that also is probably pretty significant here so just like you said with with k-state um and not that wichita state is in any type of panic that kansas state is but i'm not ready to really make any judgments on what i think about this wichita state team it's just too early there's just been too much wonkiness going on with the with the season and and i think a couple of the games here coming up may show us a little bit more of of what we could expect 
I watched a, a stretch of the game on on Sunday. I was kind of going back and forth between the NFL games that were on and then uh, the Shockers were playing kind of at the same time. So I didn't watch all of the game, but I had it on for a period of time. Uh, in I believe it was early in the second half. And um, there, there are definitely flashes of some pretty significant talent that Isaac Brown has on the court for Wichita State. Uh, all three Gilbert looked really good, uh, at least in the time that I watched. He finished with 13 points. Tyson Etienne and Clarence Jackson each had 14 points, and Clarence Jackson scored those 14, I believe, off the bench. At least he only played 21 minutes and uh, scored 14 points and had seven rebounds in that time. Um, so he definitely was a, a spark for the Shockers. So yeah, definitely some good things that Isaac Brown has going on. The Shockers stand at one and one right now, uh, and like I mentioned, they only have one more non-conference game before they get into the American Conference play, taking on Tulsa on Tuesday the 15th. Their final non-conference game is this Saturday afternoon uh, in Wichita as the Oklahoma State Cowboys travel in. And not just the Oklahoma State Cowboys, Weston, but the number one freshman player in the country, Cade Cunningham, is coming to Wichita to play the Shockers. It does look like Wichita State will have their full complement of players back, but they've got quite a task in trying to shut down Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely, and and really, Oklahoma State, you know, they've got their, they, they've kind of like K State a little bit in the sense that they they should have shown flashes over the last few years of playing really really good basketball. I mean, I have not caught Oklahoma State playing this year, so I'm not sure if they have that same, you know, streaky ability where it's moments of, of really good basketball followed by by bad. But anytime you've got a, a talented player like Kate Cunningham. Uh, you know, that's going to be a talent, uh, a challenge in and of itself. So Wichita State defense certainly will be tested in that aspect. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's been really interesting to, you know, I really see what this Cade Cunningham guy can do. Highly, highly valued player coming out of Arlington, Texas for Mike Boynton's crew. And I've just been interested as a KU fan because I know that the Jayhawks are going to be facing him a couple of different times uh, in Big 12 play. Uh, so far, um, you know, in, in the season, he's averaging about 32 minutes a game, um, you know, which is which is good. And he's averaging 18 and a half points per game. Um, you know, so early on in his college career, he's showing that he can hang for sure. So the shockers will have their hands full with Cade Cunningham on Saturday uh, in Wichita as they take on Oklahoma state. All right. That's our college basketball roundup here on keeper of the games. And it's time to talk a little bit of college football. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because, you know, really as we've, we've mentioned it multiple times that, um, you know, both KU and K state football, really there's not a whole lot to play for at this point, other than pride for both of those teams. We saw flashes from Kansas state early in the season, but we're getting close to wrapping up the college football season and, at least for KU football fans, it couldn't come soon enough. However, the Kansas Jayhawks almost got a win. I can't believe I'm saying that, but they almost got a win on Saturday against Texas Tech. Final score of that game was 16 to 13. If you follow us on Twitter, you saw the exchange that uh, they came from Weston where you predicted a KU football victory. I thought you were drunk or sleep deprived or something. Um, I was still right. They didn't win, but you were closer <laughs> than I think a lot of people are going to give you credit for. You know, it, it just, I flipped on the game and it was pretty quick in, in, in to the first drive, I think by Texas tech. 
And I just had this feeling like, boy, they're just not here today. Like Texas Tech just doesn't look like they have it, like they're interested in being here, you know, and you can, and that to me, that is always the recipe, how good football teams lose to not as good football teams. Because the thing about football is it's not like basketball where someone can get hot shooting threes and a a team that's not as good as another can beat another or baseball where bats can just be hot or cold and you lose games. Talent usually wins out in football. Um, but the way that I think these upsets happen are one turnovers, Kansas had a couple, got a couple of turnovers and two, just a lack of energy, you know, and I don't, sometimes it, it, it can't, you can't pin down why it is or, or how it happens or necessarily even blame a team. Cause I think just sometimes it, it can't, I think the sport is just so physical, you know, that if you don't, if you can't come with a hundred percent energy, you're bound to get your butt kicked by someone who, you know, has a ton of physical talent as well, even if it's not typically as high as yours. Um, but here's the thing they lost Kansas lost. They almost had it. Um, I saw a lot of, a lot of positive things out of, of this Kansas team. And particularly the the positivity I saw was all from freshmen. Like that, it blew me away how many freshmen they played. I, I mean, I've watched games throughout the whole season. I don't think I've either. I just haven't listened enough, or maybe I think in part it's recently, but because guys have been leaving the program, there's been a little bit of COVID going on and we were playing a whole lot more freshmen. You're seeing flashes, you know, out of these freshmen, this uh, Amari Pesek Hickson running back out of uh, blue Springs, Missouri looked, looked very good. Didn't really, I mean, he didn't look great against Texas tech, but it was the game before that, that he looked pretty good. Um, this Luke Grimm wide receiver boy, he's a freshman. He had uh, six for 41. I think he had a, like 121 yards the, the week before um, looks like a, a guy that you can build, you know, bu- really build off of um, because in the big 12 freshmen should not be able to compete from a physical standpoint. So if you are going to trot out that many freshmen, you're going to lose. It, it's that simple. Uh, just from a physicality standpoint, you've got guys who have been, who have built big 12 bodies. It's, it's taken them four years to do so that are playing in those games these freshmen are not going to be able to come in and compete. Yes. At times you can get a quarterback to come in or, a you know, an elite skills guy or defensive line, you know, they're, they're one in a million, those guys that come in and can, can compete like that right away. When you're playing a whole lot of them, you're just not going to compete. So I, it was exciting to see some positivity, some good plays, some, some flashes of, ability out of these young guys that hopefully stick around with the program don't leave and build off and move forward so that's my that's that's my spiel on that on the flip side incredibly disappointed with brett dearman for his play calling i my wife was literally recording me because i was losing my mind (laughs) at the absurdity absurdity of being out of the gun on fourth and inches not once, not twice, but three, and I want to cuss so bad times, <laughs> is insane. And to run zone read that got shut down on fourth and inches out of gun for a third time in that last one to, to seal the game. I, literally, I, I'm telling you, I, I don't have proof of this, but before that snap happened, I said to my wife, or maybe I was just saying out loud because I don't think she actually listens to me while I'm ranting during football (laughs) games. But I said, if this is zone read out of gun, I'm going to lose my mind. And they literally ran zone read and it got blown up like it did every time before. I uh, absolutely 
I do not understand. I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if, I mean, I guess Les Miles is the head coach. I, I don't know what happened. The absurdity of the stupidity of that is still blowing my mind as we talk about it right now. I, Tommy, I got, I, that's it. That's all I got. You know, for a guy in Brent Deerman that um, has been lauded as, as this offensive play calling genius and savant and like he's broken yeah. the game, like he, he can do all these crazy things. Certainly didn't didn't see that. Now, some of that has to come down to the personnel that you have to be able to run the plays that, that you want to call. Um, you know, but I, I agree with you. Really disappointed in, in the play calling. And um, I don't really have a spiel like you do. Um, I, and I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't watch the game. It was a pretty nice day. So I played golf instead because I figured nice. that was getting more worth my time than actually watching the game. But but I will say I did follow it. And I will say that. We can't kid ourselves. Had KU won that game, it really wouldn't have been KU winning the game. It would have been Texas Tech losing the game. Um, you know, Miles Kendrick was 17 to 29 for 102 yards passing. You're not going to win Big 12 games with, with, with that. And if you do, you shouldn't win. Um, it's just the bottom line. There are so many holes, so many things that are broken, so many things that are more broken now than they were a year ago. Um, so many players entering the transfer portal and leaving or opting out. Um, I can't really blame them, but it's like every day, like I don't even retweet them anymore because there are so many players that are leaving the program. Uh, and then with the COVID issues on top of it and the position, you know, groups that have just been decimated by that. Um, it's just, it's really hard to, to get behind it. And so there are so many, I mean, we can obviously, dial down and talk about, you know, each and every play call and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the Jayhawks are 0-9. They have one game left, we think. Uh, right now, it's on schedule to be played this Saturday against the Texas Longhorns, but Texas, their their program is still on pause because of COVID. Um, and so no official word what for what exactly is going to happen with that game on Saturday. But as of now, it is still on schedule that the Jayhawks will take on the Longhorns on Saturday. Speaking of the Longhorns, it's the same team that hung 69 points on the Wildcats on Saturday. So I guess say what you will about Kansas football. They only gave up 16 points to Texas Tech, while Kansas State got 69 hung up on them by the Longhorns. Um, that was a, a rough game to follow, just because obviously – you, when you look at Kansas State Wildcat football historically, we've said it multiple times, you always focus on the defense for the Wildcats, and the defense just was not there as the Longhorns win that game 69 to 31 against Kansas State. Yeah, that's I mean, I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch watch this game either. Um, but you know, that's exactly to your point. I can't remember Maybe a time ever. I mean, I wonder how many. What's the highest point total that the Wildcats have had hung on them in the last ten years? Because yeah. I don't sixty nine. That is, I mean, that is absurd. And you know, that's. I, I mean, I really, I don't have even any Shocking, explanation right? for that. Shocking. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's just not something you've seen out of a. Certainly not a Bill Snyder Kansas State football team. Right. Um, and I and I say that with a little smirk, but I I, I personally don't have you know. I think Kansas State's in, in good hands and with their coaching staff. I, I'm certainly not suggesting, even though I know you get you get fans every time, right? They get a little riled up, and that's always the the easy place to go is to tr try to call out the coach, and you know because it's not like it was before or this and that. But I, you know, I still think 
I've said it every week, and I know people are getting tired of hearing it, but they've still got a lot of a lot of young talent to be excited about. You're just gonna go through these these ups and downs, and this unfortunately is a down that's a little worse than they normally are when Kansas well, State is a little down. Yeah, and it's definitely a disappointing way to end the season. I mean, the Wildcats are done now. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're four and six. I don't know if they're bull eligible at four and six. I'm not exactly sure what the eligibility looks like um, this year because of COVID. I know a lot of the lower tier bull games were canceled because of that. So I would imagine that the Wildcats are not bull bound. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if I'm wrong. Somebody can correct me on that. But this was a team, Weston, that they were four and one to start the season. They beat the Jayhawks in the Sunflower Showdown 55 to 14. And then after that, lost their last five games, lost to West Virginia, lost to Oklahoma State, lost to Iowa State, lost to Baylor, and then lost to Texas. Now, the Oklahoma State and Baylor games were both very, very close, but they were blown out by West Virginia 37 to 10, blown out by Iowa State 45 to zip. And then it just kind of looked like they took their foot off the gas for this final game against the Longhorns. And really, I hate to say it just didn't show up. And uh, and they lose that game 69 to 31. They end their regular season four and six after beginning the season four and one, which is why I say it's a really disappointing way to end the season and in Chris Kleiman's second year in Manhattan. Yeah, absolutely. That's not the moment momentum you want to take into the offseason as as you're helping, you know, build out into year three and into year four for, for climbing and really what's uh you know kind of important for a program as he's now getting through all of his guys in into the program. Um, you know, but and ultimately we I think at that four and one mark, we did talk about this, Tommy. It's look, I don't I don't think I could see them winning the Big Twelve. And in part being right, they I mean they 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 lost Skylar Thompson. They had a freshman quarterback playing, no matter how excited you are for him, and he's shown flashes, he's still a freshman. It's the same thing I yeah. talked about with with Kansas. I mean, obviously they're on a whole different level, right? But playing freshman in the Big Twelve is not gonna get it done unless you are Oklahoma, you know, maybe Texas, Oklahoma State. They're getting some of those top 20 to 25 freshmen in the nation coming in. Okay, yeah, those guys can slide in and play because they're probably going to go play in the NFL one day. Outside of those guys, you're not going to be able to compete when you're throwing freshmen in there very often. It just it, They're just not ready. They're just not ready. And maybe it's good It's good game experience, um, but they're not, they're not ready to compete at a, at a high level, I don't think. And I think that showed in it. I mean, you know, they were – K-State was four for 11 on third down, which that ultimately comes back – you know, that falls back on the quarterback. Off, if you're getting yourself into third down, that's, you know, you're often throwing. He had two interceptions. Um, he didn't fumble, but then another fumble. And when you, between not being efficient on third down and turning the ball over, that's a pretty big recipe for having yeah. 69 hung on you. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, like you said, there, there have been flashes, you know, this season of some, you know, pretty significant talent in Manhattan. And if, Chris Kleiman can keep the squad together. I think it is onwards and upwards for the the Wildcat crew. But again, a disappointing way to uh, to end the season. And a quick sidebar: if the Longhorns can hang sixty nine on Kansas State, then that means the Kansas game on Saturday they're going to hang an eighty burger, I think, on the Jayhawks and probably have the the third string in by halftime. If that. Um, it's going to be pretty ugly if that game game ends up being played, uh, which it should be on on Saturday between KU and the Longhorns. All right, a couple other quick new uh, news and note 
type deals that we want to tell you about before we get into our Wichita whip around and ultimately wrap up the uh, the episode. Uh, we do want to mention the Wichita Thunder. So it's been a long time since we've talked about hockey here on the program, and we're going to talk more in depth about Wichita Thunder hockey on our next episode. Again, we're going to tell you about that in just a little bit. But the Wichita Thunder hockey team announced their team schedule for the first five weeks of the 2020-2021 season. And uh, so here's what it looks like. They kick off their season December 11th. So this Friday night is their first game. They'll be at Tulsa. Then they're on the road the day after Christmas at Kansas City on New Year's Eve at Allen. And then they're back in Wichita. So Wichita uh, will not host the Thunder until the new year, January 1st and 2nd versus Allen. And then the 5th, 8th, and 9th, uh, in the 10th versus Kansas City. So that's the the first nine games, the first five weeks of the Wichita Thunder schedule. And, uh, and like I said, Weston, we'll have a lot more to talk about with the Thunder next week, but we definitely wanted to at least talk about that schedule. So I'm not exactly sure what that means for fans necessarily. Um, we'll have to get more information about that. I can't imagine that fans will be allowed uh, at least right away, but maybe when we get into January, we can start seeing more fans uh, there to watch the Thunder in action. Yeah, I grew up I grew up going to a lot of Thunder games. I had a, I had a, a cousin that I'm, I'm very close with who grew up as a hockey player, so he was even more interested in the Thunder, and I tagged along with him a lot, and I, I became a fan, and I, uh, you know, that's so much, so much fun going to those games, so I certainly hope that they can, you know, start with a certain number of fans and hopefully build up as, as we get further into the season. But, um, very excited to, to talk next week about more about the thunder when we're going to have someone that hopefully, uh, has a little more qualified to give some insight into the thunder and, and what we should be looking for come the 2020, 2021 season. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't really know much about hockey at all. So um, I'll definitely (laughs) defer to him. Well, again, we'll tell you more about that coming up uh, here in just a few minutes. And then our final note to pass along, again, before we get into our Wichita whip around, some Kansas City Royals news uh, as they signed veteran first baseman Carlos Santana to a two-year contract, (coughs) sorry, two-year contract totaling $17 million. Santana is 34 years old. He was an all-star two years ago. With the Cleveland Indians that year, he hit 281 with 34 home runs and 93 RBIs. Had a down season uh, this year, only batting 199. Uh, of course, during the shortened 2020 season with the Indians, uh, but now he's coming to Kansas City. Your thoughts on Carlos Santana coming in and playing for the Royals next season? I, I like the signing. I mean, frankly, you know, I'm not sure why we would certainly care about the Royals spending the money. I mean. You know what? If they didn't, if they didn't sign him, it's probably just seventeen million that's just not spent, right? You yeah. know, and it's a two-year deal, so it's not hampering any long-term plans you have for the organization. We don't really have a, a first baseman really in the wings that were, you know. That, that he would be stealing out bats from because probably the first baseman of the future is Salvador Perez, um, as he you know, gets older and eventually probably eases out of the catcher spot. I mean, maybe he catches his whole career like Yachty does, but you'd think that he probably he's got a better bat than Yachty. So you'd think he probably finds some time where he just reduces a little stress and moves down there. So I certainly like um, having, you know, Carlos Santana right here. I mean, he's a guy that um, from 2011 to 2019, he drew 88 plus walks every season. Something that the Royals don't ever do. They don't walk. So having a guy in the organization 
to really teach his approach, or even if he's not teaching, just have young guys to look at his approach and see an example of, of, of how to approach, how to, to be at the plate. It, I think that's going to be very, very huge. Um, you know, and, and frankly, again, I just think it's a low risk move. I think if it doesn't work out, it's a two year deal and it's, it's 17 million that probably wasn't going to be allocated anywhere else. So I'm not sure as a fan, why you would care that the Royals spend the money. Um, you know, I, I personally like it. And, you know, the Royals need a, a, a good middle of the order bat also. I mean, they need a little bit more offense going into next season. Uh, last year, they tied for the sixth worst, uh, sixth worst scoring offense in the entire majors. They only hit 68 home runs in that shortened season. So definitely important to get uh, a big bat. And obviously, Santana had declined a little bit last season, but maybe he can find a new spark in Kansas city. And I thought this was kind of funny too. Uh, Carlos Santana actually played the Royals against the Royals really, really well in his career in Cleveland. He hit 288 with 31 home runs and 93 RBIs in 151 games against Kansas city. So another plus is that the Royals won't have to play against him anymore because they've got him on, on the team. So again, like you said, a a low risk move uh, and uh, hopefully he can be a, a big contributor in that middle of the order for Kansas city next season. All right, now let's go ahead and get into our Wichita whip around here on keeper of the games. Want to get started off by talking about Keisha. We've been talking about this uh, for the last couple of weeks or so, as the conversation has gone back and forth about whether or not there should be fans allowed at winter sporting events around the state for high school, uh, the fall sports, they were able to have fans, uh, especially in the playoff time and into, uh, you know, the, the state championship games and so forth. But Keisha had announced that at least through, I believe, the end of January, there would be no fans allowed to watch winter sports. Well, there was a lot of outcry about that. And so the Keisha Board of Directors voted on Tuesday to allow some fans back in the stands to support high school and middle school athletes. The The vote was passed by a score of 54 to 24. Um, so it looks like now up to two parents or guardians per participant's family beginning December 10th through the end of January. That means a maximum of two spectator tickets will be allowed to each family. Um, so I guess what that means is that if you have siblings on the same team, you're not getting four tickets, you're getting two because it's the same family. So at the end of the day, it's not ideal, but it does look like Keisha has listened and now we're going to at least be allowing parents to come back in. And doesn't this just seem like deja vu, Weston? Because I feel like we were talking exactly about this when the fall sports came around and now it's like, will they, won't they, what are they going to do? They make a decision. They go back on it. They make a compromise. It just seems like a big merry-go-round that we keep going on and off every time there's a new season of sports. Right. You know, the only thing I'll say though, doesn't it feel, it feels a little different with Keisha, right? Because it it doesn't, it feels like they're, they're meeting and listening as opposed to, it felt like it took an absolute outcry. And just to even get that second meeting with, with us, when, when USC 259 made their decision, um, you know, and so I do feel like Keisha has been a little bit more listening. And I think I like this decision. I think that makes sense. Right. I mean, uh, you know, if you if you've got a gym that's got a capacity of, you know, these are probably pretty small gyms. So I'm going to say a number of a thousand. Right. I mean, to have two parents each tell them you got to spread out. I mean, we know like we all it's been drilled into our brains now of what these numbers are staying six feet apart. You can probably put people 10 feet apart. I mean, if you're all and then if you've got a mom and dad that are sitting next to each other, well, that doesn't matter 
longer because they're sitting next to each other at home, you know? So I think giving the parents the opportunity, and I I do think on on last week's episode, I I said, you know, I don't know why more parents aren't just happy that their kids get a play, you know? And I do, I think that's true, but I also think, Hey, this should always be a revolve revolving door of information from the people making decisions to ban parents from not watching their kids play or watching, you know, fans not watching their high school, you know, play play yeah. um, as we progress. So, and frankly, I think we should probably, you know, there should probably be a meeting. Well, and it, I guess the holidays make incredibly tough timing because I'm sure the guys who work for case, you probably aren't making a ton of money. So you're probably to have them have an emergency Christmas you know, time meeting isn't probably going to happen, but they should have probably have another meeting December 20th to see, okay, the vaccine's out. Does that change our opinion? Maybe right. the answer is no. I mean, it very well could be the answer is no, but I we're at that point now, I think with all of this COVID stuff that decisions could be a, a good decision can be changing from a week to week basis. We don't know what these next three to four weeks looks like or you know one to three months even so i i think it's all going to be touch and go from here on out and i think you can definitely tell that keisha is at a point now where you know they want to try to avoid a lot of the backlash that they saw in the fall sports season and um you know i I know that a a lot of this was usd 259 as well kind of in that uh in that decision making process but if you remember back to to the football season there were, there were protests, you know, people holding up signs and, you know, things like that. And so, like you mentioned, Keisha is a little bit more willing, I think, to listen, you know, now. Uh, and, you know, I think they probably thought, OK, we're going to give it a shot. Ideally, for health purposes, we'd love to not have anybody in the stands. Um, so we're going to try to restrict it. And if there's pushback, which I'm sure that they thought there surely will be, we'll go back on it. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make a compromise, which is what which is what they're doing right now with you know only two tickets per family you know allowed at these sporting events but Keisha's not the end-all be-all either local boards of education local health departments they can they can make those decisions outside of Keisha they can say we're not going to give any tickets out for these games uh and and have it be more of a at a district level uh as opposed to you know that at a state level which is what the decision we have right now but again as it stands uh two spectators per family allowed which is an improvement from uh the way that the the decision was eventually or originally made by Keisha. And if things change, then we'll absolutely keep you posted on what those changes mean uh, in the future for winter sports around the state. We are into basketball season at the high school level, um, and not just around the state, but in the Wichita area as well. So a couple of updates for you, um, just kind of cherry picking a couple of the bigger games to tell you about. So uh, East beat Southeast in City League play. And it was an overtime game. Final score of that game, 62 to 57. This is notable because Clint Kinneman is now the head coach at East High. We talked about Coach Kinneman when he took the job back at the very beginning of our podcast, like all the way back in February. One of our first topics was about Clint Kinneman coming in, and he was the coach at St. John's, I believe, for like 25 or 30 years out in Western Kansas or Central Kansas, uh, and now is coaching in the City League at East, and his era is officially underway with the win of course east won that game 62 57 in overtime any thoughts on clint kinnaman coming in from a rural community and now coaching east high and his first game results in a win 
Well, he's got, I mean, that's got to feel good, right? It's, I mean, it's just kind of like Isaac Brown at Wichita State. Getting that first one under your belt uh, has got to feel good, and it, it puts you in the right direction. Uh, you know, it's just one. He's got a long ways to go. But, you know, I think I said this probably back when we talked about him jumping from St. John's to, to East. You know, it, it's definitely going to be a, a different style of basketball that's played, and, and we'll see how it goes throughout the year. Um, but what a weird year to make that transition, right? I mean, it, it just that's that's got to be tough. But kudos to him for getting that first win. Wichita West beat Wichita North. Final score of that game, fifty nine to forty seven. Bishop Carroll beat Wichita South. It was a blowout, sixty seven to twenty nine. As Carroll gets that victory, Mays over Dodge City, seventy five thirty five. That game wasn't even close uh, either. Uh, and then uh, in 5A, Augusta beat Goddard 58-51. to Campus, we talked a lot about uh, Campus and, and their efforts last season as the, uh, the the season was cut short due to COVID, and Campus had been on a roll. They get off on the right foot by taking down Salina Central. Final score of that game, 65-58. to Andover beat McPherson, 73-44. to uh, and then the other game that I just wanted to mention very quickly, uh, Heights also, uh, they took down Cape and Mount Carmel uh, in the season opener. Final score of that game, 68 to 49. So just some score updates there uh, for boys basketball uh, in the high school ranks around the Wichita Metro. And one other final update, because I've kept this up as we've been talking that's not in high school. It's back in college. I wanted to give you an update on the Kansas State Fort Hay State game right now, Weston. Fort Hay State leads by 13, 55 to 42 against the Kansas State Wildcats with 12 minutes to go in the ballgame. If Fort Hay State can hold on, you'll see a D2 team knock off the Kansas State Wildcats in the Big 12. That's going to rock the boat a little bit if, if Fort, Fort Hay State uh, pulls this off. That's... That's a big deal for uh, yeah. for old Bruce Weber if if uh, if they lose to a, a D two opponent. That's that's a big deal. It really it and, really really is. And how much money is Fort Hay State getting paid to play this game in the first place? Like they could walk away with a big check and a win potentially. Yeah, uh, that's I, it's funny you say I, I had this. I literally have the little tab open on mine as well. I was keeping an eye on it, so I may have to flip this. Looks like it's on ESPN Plus. I might have to flip this game on after we get off the podcast. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're going to be going off the air here momentarily, so we won't have a final score, which by the time this podcast drops, you'll all know whether or not uh, Kansas State wins or loses this game. But right now it's not looking good for Bruce Weber's squad. Uh, and so that's going to wrap things up for our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. And actually, that's going to wrap up our, our show for the most part. I do want to tell you we've been teasing it all uh, all show about what we have coming up next week. Uh, on Keeper of the Games. It'll be our final episode of 2020. So while sports continue, you know, Chiefs football, college basketball, and the like over the holidays, we're going to take some time off. Weston, you've got a brand new baby girl and and uh, the holidays are coming up and I'm sure the last thing you want to do is record podcasts. So we're going to take a break between the 15th and the beginning of the year. Uh, and so our final episode will drop next week and we're going to be joined all episode long by Blake Cripps. Blake has been obviously 
fantastic on this program multiple times. Uh, and so we wanted to bring him on and have a three-man crew uh, for the podcast next week. And we're really excited about this. We're going to be welcoming on Jason Mals, who is the voice of the Wichita Thunder. He's going to break down everything going on with the Wichita Thunder season, what things are going to look like uh, for the Thunder squad as they get ready to kick off. And actually, by the time we have him on, uh, the Thunder will have one game under their belts uh, as they kick off on Friday on the road. So we'll have Jason on to talk about Thunder hockey. And like I've said before, Weston, I know very little about hockey. So having a guy like Jason on to give his insight will be invaluable for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. You and I have said many a times, right? Like we much would prefer to bring on people that are much smarter, much more knowledgeable yeah. on any particular topic than we are to let the people know know what's going on. So I'm excited. I'm excited to talk a little hockey. And, I, and I'll be honest, I've kind of been out of the know with the Thunder for, for quite a while. And, and like I said, I grew up on it. So I'm excited to hear what they have going on and, and, and seeing you know what what's in store for, for 2021. We might end up having other guests as well. We we we're don't working have on we're working on that. We don't have that confirmed. We do have Jason Mal's confirmed uh, to be on the program next week. So we're calling it our Keeper of the Games Holiday Extravaganza. It's gonna be probably a longer show. I mean, we're we're coming up. We kind of do an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, this one might be longer because we've got you know a three man crew to talk about all the sports topics, and then we're we're talking about some guests as well. So um, it might be an episode that will. Take you from next week through the end of the year uh, to listen to all of it. And that's totally okay. If we can provide you with some content between now and when we come back, that that's, that's fine with me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for this. And like I said, I can't make any promises on other guests, but we've got a couple in mind we're, we've reaching out. We're, we're trying to work on some stuff to give you some, some, you know, folks that are, you know, knowledgeable in, in the Wichita sports world, or maybe just something you might find interesting, even if it's not, you know, obviously sports related, but maybe not necessarily with a direct tie to, to right. the sports world of Wichita. But we just want to bring you a lot of content to get you through from the time we, you know, record this last podcast through to the end of end of the year um, and, and kind of knock it out. So I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yep. We're looking forward to that. It'll be next week. It'll be our final episode of 2020, our holiday extravaganza for keeper of the games. And uh, the the final, finally, the, the last thing that I want to mention, I don't know if you can see this, uh, if that's showing up, that's our fantasy football score. It's not, if you're watching, not this, up. if you're watching this on, uh, on YouTube, then I don't know. You probably can't see that. Uh, but, but we are, you and I are in the same fantasy football league together. Um, I have had a tremendous season so far and I just took the lead against you. Um, I had Amari Cooper. The Cowboys game is going on right now. You're done. You have no players left. And Amari Cooper just made a catch that put me over. I'm winning by less than a point. So unless Amari Cooper fumbles the football or something, uh, I should have a win locked up and I should actually do. No, Tommy. No, Tommy. Have you, have you not looked at the brackets? I've not. See, this is this is on you, and I'm sure people love love hearing us talk about our fantasy league. But it's two. We're in the playoffs now, so it's two week uh, rounds. Right. So uh, just so the people know, and again, now that we're talking about our boring fantasy football content, Tommy beat me by one when I had Derrick Henry score four point nine points. So I think Tommy needed to get out to a much bigger lead to uh, secure that locked up for next week. Hey, just like you said when you were talking about the Chiefs, a win is a win, right? That's really, <laughs> that's, that's that's really all that matters. And I entered the playoffs 10-2, and, two, and your record's not anywhere. Not good, that. no. My, I, I, I snuck in. 
Yeah. So, uh, and, and I, I do also have to mention that this is my first year in your league and I'm, I'm dominating your league. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm dominating. Just so people know it's the family league. All right. It's not like he's in here with a bunch of, you know, <laughs> fantasy experts, uh, you know, well, my wife has not done very well. She doesn't listen to this podcast anyways, but my wife's in there. Her team name is Punt and Spice Latte, which I mean, tells you all you need to know, but also fairly creative. I will give fair her enough. That. So, yeah. uh, but, but that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's the family league, but Tommy is got a, Hey, got a hand up. He's, he's doing well. And he's definitely, he's beating me in round one of two to see who moves on to the next week. So he's got to get me next week. Um, buy it. It's a total of the two right. weeks, right? I got to so. beat you by by yeah. I got to beat you by two, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, and that would mean that next week on our holiday extravaganza, we should have an idea That's of right. moving on to the next round. So That's yeah, right. we'll have to have to talk about that next week. I just wanted to to point that out. Uh, hey, don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the major ones right there. You can find us. Uh, you can go to our website, cogsports.com, watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. And don't forget, next week is our Keeper of the Games holiday extravaganza. We're looking forward to it, Weston. What is your Twitter handle? At WMills94. Of course, you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. Until next week, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 